So if y'all have been around me much, you maybe have noticed uh, me fiddling on this. Am I alone? I'm the only one out there who fiddles on something that looks a little like this. Yeah, one of the ways that I manage my stress and anxiety is to play mindless games on my phone. So I have a couple of favorites. There's a match three one where they, like you match the gems and they blow up if you got at least three or more. And then there's another one where you, uh, it's a circle of letters and you, you do a word. It's not Wordle. Apparently all the cool kids do Wordle. I do whatever this other thing is, okay? Apparently, in the pandemic, I mean, this is not unusual, right? Like, many of you all are nodding your heads away to sort of manage your anxiety is to engage in mindless activity. But does it really fill your soul and make you well, right? Uh, one of the interesting developments, you know, during the pandemic, we all turned to our screens because we didn't have a whole lot of other options. Uh, but one of the developments, at least in a city in Seoul, South Korea, and I, I know this is halfway around the world, but when I tell this story, it's going to sound really, or at least it sounded very familiar to me. They've created these cafes where you pay to look at clouds and trees. True story. Just like off the main block, around the corner, there's a couple of tea shops or coffee shops that, that butt up to some, you know, natural area. And so these entrepreneuring business people have created a bunch of windows, and, and you pay to come and do nothing. You are not allowed to talk. You are not allowed to have a cell phone. You can read, and you're supposed to just look at trees and clouds. Every day, all their time slots, totally sold out. Now, here's, here's a couple of quotes from people who were interviewed. This article was in um, the Washington Post back in November. So just a few months ago, this was highlighted. Uh, one of the customers in her early 30s says, I've been so tired and I don't even have time to space out. After work, I go home and I have to do housework and then I barely have 30 minutes to an hour before I need to sleep. I spend that time on my phone. This is what I do. I play games as I sit in bed. She said, so with a space like this, I can actually focus on taking a breath. A small business owner said this, in this space, the rule is that I must do nothing. It made space in my brain. I even read a book, enjoyed the smell of diffusers, looked at flowers, wrote poetry. I started getting new ideas one by one, and I felt so refreshed. These people do know they can look at clouds and trees for free, right? Which is a little bit what I want to highlight about this story. What kind of mania, and I don't mean the South Koreans, maybe I'm just talking about me, is so over-programmed that the only way you can justify rest is by monetizing it. And then somehow you can count it as accomplishing something. This is actually specifically what the business owner said. He said, I can't, I have to be busy doing something. At least when I'm at the cafe, the rule is that I'm supposed to not be doing something. So he's able to justify it. He's able to justify by not doing something because that's the something he's supposed to be doing in the cafe. Y'all see the insanity of this, right? Are you with me? 
And yet, I wonder how much this is an anomaly. I mean, I, I'm not aware of cafes like the Green Lab, which is the one that's primarily highlighted in the United States. But I got to say, if they started popping up, my guess is they'd have clientele. Because we are desperate for rest. And we cannot allow it of ourselves. So we trick ourselves into paying for what God has given us for free. This Lent, we're doing a sermon series on Sabbath. I'm going to make a couple of confessions. Um, Sometimes I like to try, uh, in terms of being authentic from the pulpit, I like to try and say things that I truly believe. In this sermon series, I'm going to say things that I want to believe. I am not good at Sabbath. There will be no authentic, here is how Sabbath has saved and changed me, because I don't do it, or don't do it well. So, so when you hear me saying, here's what we should do, the emphasis is on the we, okay? So I want to make no pretense about the fact that I'm not the expert here, but the Lord is, right? And the scripture, and so together in this series, we will study Sabbath and what it means, and, and truly the reason, well, a couple of reasons. I think that it's a good Lent study because Lent is all about just taking a moment to breathe so that we don't miss the most important thing, which is Jesus Christ, right? Lived, died, resurrected, so that in the, our hurry, we don't let that pass us by. So Lent is all about just taking a break and listening and learning. And for that reason, Sabbath, I think, makes a good theme. Uh, It also, I don't know if it caught your attention, but it caught my attention in our, our Mark series, how often, at least in those first three chapters, this issue of Sabbath comes up. And, and again, for me, I guess I was convicted that I don't really understand what Sabbath means. And how interesting it was that while Jesus pushes on the boundaries of how his, his contemporaries understood Sabbath, when you really study the scriptures themselves, which is why I'm enjoying slow walking through Mark so that we don't miss anything, Jesus actually deeply affirms what the Sabbath means. So just a reminder, these are some verses we've studied together here recently. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then in a companion story, just a few verses later in chapter 3, Jesus is interacting with the, the keepers of the law. He says, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And he's emphasizing to them that the Sabbath is meant for good. Not that we jettison it. You know, Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture, I I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I wonder if that's, if that's what these little vignettes teach us about Sabbath. He didn't come to abolish them. He came to fulfill Sabbath. I more or less have just, like, tossed it out the window, right? So, let us learn 
together about the Sabbath. And where better to begin than the beginning, right? So our scripture passage this morning, you've already heard it read, comes from Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, when instituted, or instituted isn't the right word because we're not quite there yet, but the establishment of rest, of Sabbath, happens as early as Genesis chapter 2. But what we're going to talk about today starts even a little earlier than that, and so I'm going to read the entire chapter of Genesis 1. It's more scripture than we typically read in a setting together. So if you want to pull it up on your phones, we all have these handy devices or in your pew Bibles so that we can be staying together. As I read Genesis 1, here are things that I want you to notice or even feel. I want you to feel the rhythm of creation. I want you to feel the order, and by order I mean completeness. And I want you to feel the beauty of creation as God intended it in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. Jesus called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry land, ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, 
and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God said it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Before we move to how this story continues. And it is this story that continues. There's a big old two, if you're looking either on your phone or in your Bible, that makes it seem like somehow these verses we're about ready to read belong to some other story, some other chapter. They are technically in the second chapter of Genesis, but they are the conclusion, uh, the pinnacle almost, the completion of these first six days. And so what is it that we notice? And again, if, you know, if we weren't in a sanctuary, I might actually call you all out to name some things you notice. I'll just go ahead and name some for us. Um, there is a rhythm to creation, isn't there? And it is good. Not only is there sort of this rhythm baked into how God goes about creating us and then making us in his image, but also there, there is this meticulous care, right? There's nothing haphazard here. This is, this is created, not thrown together. God has made things in a very particular way And it is good. Now verse, excuse me, chapter 2, like I said, says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But God is not yet done with creation. God has completed the material world, but creation is not complete because we have the seventh day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, you may have never read this before this way, and so we'll just blame it on me. But has everyone ever thought to themselves creation was the six days of work and then Sabbath was the bonus that he slapped on the end? What if creation... And this is exactly what I'm trying to say, that Genesis teaches us creation is all seven days, which means that creation is not work. Creation is work and rest in rhythm, and life as God has created it cannot be whole unless all of these things are included. In our study of Jesus, and I'll probably be talking, toggling back and forth, uh, Jesus is again trying to, to redeem lost creation, right? To restore, uh, you know, last week, I believe it was in our, in our scripture passage, we talked about Jesus sort of raiding Satan, uh, excuse me, Satan's house and taking back what belongs to God. And, and those are the lives of those who've been wrecked by Satan's power, right? Restoring them back to the humans they were always meant to be. This is the work that Jesus is up to. So what is life truly supposed to be? It is not six days. It is seven And only when creation is rounded off, so to speak, with the Sabbath, is creation, is life, is the world that is good complete. Uh, Exodus 20, which gives us these Ten Commandments. and we may spend more time. A lot of the themes that I plan to hit today, we may go into greater depth in the weeks that are coming. But, but as I set us up today, uh, it's interesting that Exodus 20, when it gives the commandment about Sabbath, it roots it in the nature of God's creation. So let me go ahead and read it for you. Exodus 20 verse 8 says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to a Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One of the things that I read that, that I appreciated, this is someone else's thought, but I think that it's true. God didn't create in in just such a way, again, that the material is ordered, but that there is an ordering of our time. The good that God created, the good that we are seeking, the good that Jesus is helping us to find, includes a rhythm of work and rest. So, What does this say? And this is where we'll spend the time we have left today. What does this say about the good life, the abundant life, the life that Jesus is calling us to? Well, some of this, again, we've already, we've covered, but just to drill down a little bit more. I think it's worth noting that days one through six are only complete when fulfilled by seven. And here's what I mean by this. God spends six days working, which means that work is good. But it's incomplete 
without the seventh day. And I guess maybe for me the application is, at least how I view it, if I miss Sabbath, then I miss Sabbath, right? But this is almost teaching us to say, if I miss Sabbath, day seven isn't just off course. Days one through six get wonky too. Creation, including the work, is just not right unless it's completed by day seven, which is necessary for the whole thing to be good. One person makes the point, and I think this is self-evident, the human honoring of the work and rest balance or or rhythm has the capacity to deeply affect life, not just day seven. But days one through six, too, right? You miss Sabbath, and the work, which is good, gets out of sorts, too. The second thing I think this at least suggests is that Sabbath reminds us we are enough, not that we have to do enough. This is a bit of a cliche, and you've heard it before, that we are human beings, not human doings, right? And God is a divine being, not a divine doing. But isn't it worth noting that even God's value is not dependent on what God can produce? God is a creator, meaning a worker, one who creates. And yet on the seventh day, God's not creating a a thing. And yet God is still very much God. As people who are made in the image of God, isn't it nice to know that sometimes being, frankly, is enough? Here's, again, another line that I read this week that I thought was helpful. God is not a workaholic. God has no need to be more secure, more sufficient, more in control, or more noticed. Sometimes just being is enough. Well, I don't know about you, but I often need to be more secure, more sufficient, more in control, or more noticed. Maybe Sabbath could teach me that who I am is sufficient, at least for one day out of the week. Another thing that Sabbath reminds us, is that God is enough. As it turns out, the world will keep spinning, even if we aren't working on Sabbath, right? In fact, part of the lesson in the manna in Exodus uh, was that on the sixth day, they had to gather twice as much, trusting that God's work would take care of their lack of it, On the seventh day, they did not constantly have to be spinning the plates in order for things to be okay. God really could handle it if once a week we took a day off. And then finally, I think there's something to be said back to the beauty of creation. Sabbath gives us just a chance to enjoy. Instead of trying to achieve, Sabbath is about receiving. Just taking a minute to look around and see that what God has created, including us, is good. I'll end um, with some extended thoughts from a gentleman named Brett McCracken. uh, And he really connects this concept of beauty and Sabbath. And so I want to share with you some of the things he has to say. He says, beauty and Sabbath go hand in hand. Both are extravagant. 
They are unproductive and unnecessary, right? Which is the last thing any of us want to be is unproductive or unnecessary. But both are reflections of God's abundance. There is more than enough to go around. And, and at this point, I'm, I'm off scripting a little bit. But it's a reminder that the world is chiefly a gift to receive, not a prize to be earned. Or a job that has to be done. Beauty doesn't have to exist. The fact that humans delight in sunsets and symphonies and he says pecan pie, I might quibble, cannot be explained by the Darwinian account of human existence. The point, he says, is the only explanation that makes sense of beauty is that we are created in the image of God who relishes it. All those fish in the sea and all the kinds of the birds and and the vast gratuitousness, excess of flowers and plants, right? So much to enjoy. He says something like he he created thousands of edible plants and animals. Um, He very easily could have just created gruel, right? For our sustenance. And yet it says he created humans with taste buds to appreciate things like salted caramel gelato, buttermilk fried chicken, and lamb tangine. I don't know what that is. Just as he is a God who not only creates, he pauses to enjoy what he has created. So he created us with the capacity to enjoy. That's why beauty exists. And then he goes on to say, when we refuse to observe Sabbath and don't allow space for the enjoyment of beauty— we implicitly signal as mental doubt the goodness of God and the world he has provided. When we do stop to rest, to feast, to smell the roses, we display a contentedness and calm acceptance about the world and the one who holds it together. I need Sabbath in my life for lots of reasons. Some personal, and sometimes because the the world just seems kind of crazy, right? (laughs) And I need to be reminded that there is beauty, and there is good. And the Lord does have this, even if we aren't in control. This Lenten journey, as we sort of metaphorically pause, I'm going to encourage us to actually, like, physically attempt to just pause. It doesn't have to be a a full-on Sabbath in that we, you know, no longer flip on light switches or cook food, but let let us give this life, this beauty, a try, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe we can just exist, And know that we are enough, and that God is enough, and that this world he has created for us is good. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for the rhythm of work and for rest. Work is good. Rest is too. As we we, um, work, I guess, try to live into being the humans you have created us to be. Humans who live the life that really is life, that is reconciled to God and to others and to ourselves through Jesus Christ. 
Help us to remember the rhythm of the creation which you have called good so that we can be uh, people who reflect that rightness, that good for ourselves and for the sake of the world. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen.